0: Uh, 1 Timothy. We're going to look at the first seven verses this morning. Primarily, we won't get into the part about false teachers until next week. So, um, I'm excited about 1 Timothy, and um, I'll just give you a little snippet of why. Um, I'm going on sabbatical in um, May, and so I was going to try to get through Romans because I wanted Anna Byers to get all of the Romans sermons before she went off to college. So, we'll send them to you, Anna. (laughs) <laughs> Pardon me? I hope Anna Byers is Oh, not Anna Byers, sorry. Where is Anna Byers? Oh, she's with a friend, worshiping Jesus elsewhere. Anna Bacon, excuse me. Anna Byers will get all of Romans, maybe two times. Uh, okay, let's start over. 1 uh, Timothy. I'm excited about 1 Timothy um, because, as the title says, it's uh, How to Do Church 101. If you were to go into my, uh, my small library, my office, and you would see where my precious bride as a library a librarian, has, has taken books and put them all by category I have a, a section on church growth, church planting. And it was interesting the other day, when I went to that section, I noticed the first two books were written by church planners, uh, that, that one, one actually took his own life, uh, and one has been filled with controversy and um, was, was kicked out of the network and out of his church. And I, and I thought, I remember reading those books and saying, wow, maybe I could be one of those guys. I remember going to California and uh, thinking about Redeemer Church, New York City. I had been there um, and I'd seen the great work and I was like, well, maybe, maybe that's what God is gonna call me to plant in Los Angeles these big ideas and how to do it. Uh, The Redeemer book is like this thick, how to plant churches in urban centers. Um, And I hate to say it, but I neglected 1 Timothy. I hate to say it, but I thought, what works? Let me look at something that works. and, And by works, I mean something that grows, has lots of people and is able to influence a city right nothing wrong to hope for that for certain nothing wrong to hope for that but instead of saying how does god direct us and and first timothy really is the apostle paul writing a letter to someone he calls his true son a young man that he's disciple a young man that he has turned the church that he planted over to church in ephesus timothy I, i'm i'm leaving you here to manage this church, to deal with all the problems that happen in a church. And here here is his instruction manual. Here's his letter. Uh, So the author, the Apostle Paul, mentor, close friend of Timothy, they traveled together, they went on mission trips together, they co-planted churches. It was written probably between 62 and 63 A.D. So Christ had been dead, uh, and, and Jerusalem had not yet been sacked. That happened in 70 A.D., um, the context, uh, as I mentioned, an experienced church player and apostle writing to a young, timid, and often afraid Pastor Timothy about the difficult job of pastoring the church. He'll address things like false teaching, doct- doctrinal impurities, anything that threatens the church. He'll address things like what is public worship to look like, who needs correction, how to provide correction, how to develop mature leaders what they should look for in those mature leaders. He would even challenge Timothy on his own conduct as a minister of the gospel. I would say the recipients of this letter, and it's important for us to do this as we start a study, who is it written to, who is to receive it? So it's written down, it's put in the canon, but there are probably four different groups that are going to be mentioned in the letter. Uh, the first is, of course, Paul and his fellow apostles, the part, the group that he is a part uh, the second would be the false teachers. He's addressing false teachers. And I would say maybe among all the themes in the book, that is the most neglected in our church. Nobody likes to talk about it. We don't like to say, so-and-so across town is a false teacher. They said this. Have you read their blog? This is not right. This is not true. If you stand up and say that, you know what you get, how you get treated? Get treated as like a mean nasty that's not very christian right i mean that, that that's the community we live in this broadly evangelical they call themselves a church and there's a cross on their building um so they're all good they're all okay no the false teachers are addressed and in every letter they're addressed because they're everywhere and they are always always a challenge to the church they always should be thought of. They always should be guarded against. So he talks to the false teachers, um, verse 6, chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 3. Also in Second Timothy, the next letter he writes to Timothy, uh, he talks about false teachers. The third group of people would be absolutely Timothy, uh, who it's named after, and, and uh, Titus, we did that about five years ago, I think, four or five years ago. Um, uh, so it's written to those that would kind of stand between the apostle and the church. So the kind of the local pastor. um, And what do we know again about Timothy? He's young. Uh, He is warned in 2 Timothy about youthful desires. He's told, flee them, Timothy. You're a young man. Be aware of these things. He's shy. He needs encouragement often. Uh, He's told, please don't be ashamed of Christ. Can you imagine saying that to uh, the pastor? (laughs) Hi, you're the pastor of the church. B.T. Dubs, don't be ashamed of Jesus, right? Uh, so, I mean, I love, I love how, how uh, real and personal it is to him. Uh, Timothy's also, he's kind of sickly. He's uh, infirm. He has uh, recurring problems. Um, he's told, drink some wine uh, for your frequent ailments. Um, but Timothy is also charged. He's told, Timothy, you've got to teach these things. Timothy, be the leader. Command these things. Timothy, give them instruction in these things. Uh, and lastly, it's written to us. The pastors who would be appointed, the churches that will be led. It gives us the requirements for the office. It gives us uh, the, the the nature of truth that has been handed down. And it is written to us. 1 Timothy. So this morning, just these first seven verses. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. So, you know, my brother Jonathan came to visit me, and he's one of those people. Uh, he is an early adopter. I'm a late adopter. Um, and uh, he, he got into cryptocurrency early on. And so it was interesting. Um, I forget which currency he was in. But one day, like every hour, he would send me a screenshot of his phone. And he was like, It's like, while you were eating breakfast, I made $2,000. <laughs> and an hour later, you go, Hey, by the way, while I was eating breakfast, I made another $2,000. He kept sending these screenshots. You know, and, and it, it's that sense of, of panic of, I'm missing out, right? It, it's the uh, it, it's the one-armed bandits in the Las Vegas airport. Anybody been to the Las Vegas airport? I went to the Las Vegas airport at 18, won a trip, right? I got off the plane and you hear this ding, 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 ding. I don't know if they still have it at the Las Vegas airport, but they did back in those days. And I got off the plane and I thought, everyone's winning. I got to hurry. I got to get there. Crazy, right? So, I, I thought, okay, uh, how will I learn about cryptocurrency? I sent a message to one of, our, uh, one of our members who's supposed to know stuff about money, and he said he didn't know. I won't tell you who he is. He said he didn't know, but he'd take a class with me. I'm like, okay, let's take a class. Um, what's cryptocurrency? What's blockchain? What's EFTs? What's, I mean, all these things that are just flowing. So as I started reading, I, I couldn't even understand some of the terms. Like, what am I supposed to do? Um, so here's what I decided to do. I can put some money in that I can afford to lose. I'll put some money in that I can afford to lose. You know? uh, and, and, and I felt personally that I kind of had to have some stake in it. If it was just fake, then it's like playing poker with chips, you know, not a $5 buy-in. You know? it, it, it's like, I, I got nothing to lose, I got nothing to gain. So I had to put something in there. Um, but then I thought, you know, here are the questions. Who do I talk to? Who do I trust? What's at stake? And what are the benefits? And do those benefits outweigh the lost? What, what if I do nothing? You know, what, 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 what is that? And so I, I want you to think about that in reference to Church. When, when you come to Three Rivers, when you watch Three Rivers online, when you go wherever you go, uh, how, how do you make that decision? How do we make that decision of how we're going to do church? Do we decide, um, and, and we've done some of this, do we decide we look at Delaware County, as I did looking at demographic things and like, you know, divorce, capital, lots of poverty. So uh, let's let's offer meaning of marriage class. Let's offer financial peace class. Um, let let let's help this community. Um, how do we how do we do and what do we teach? Do we do we teach things that are just not going to be offensive? So We want people to, to come and like us. How do we do it? And so I think we've got to just go back to the Word and say, what does God's Word say? What do we have the instruction to this church planner about what a church is to look like? And so on the outline there, I have it kind of broken down for you. And I think it's important that you get a kind of a big picture of how everything's going to fit together. So this first section of Timothy, uh, this first 20 verses, really he will focus on the idea of doctrine, and how we are to preserve it. So he starts with that. What do we believe? And he treats doctrine in the sense that it is something that has been entrusted to you. It's as if a sacred book has been written. Timothy, here is the key to life. Here is what our God has shown concerning himself, concerning Christ, and this is the way of salvation. It's not just the way of salvation, it's the way of life. It includes purpose, it includes family dynamics, church dynamics. Timothy, this is being entrusted to you. Don't let anything mess it up. Don't let anything pollute it. You as a church, you as as an appointed pastor from an apostle are to protect it. And so that's how he starts. And that's what we're going to look at these next couple of weeks. Doctrine, how to preserve it. And so he has five different charges that are in here. And that first charge, Timothy, will be wage the good warfare. Timothy, you're, you're, you're at war with the world. Uh, wage it in a proper way. The second section then will deal with public worship. Our God cares about how we worship Him. He says, "Here's how. this is what's supposed to happen when the community gets together. Um, Thirdly, what's the authoritative structure? What does it require of the church and of its leaders? And in that, we have that second charge. How should one behave in the household of God? How are we to behave in the household of God? And he writes that in verse 15. It's like, Timothy, I want to get there. I want to see you. I want to talk to everybody. But I'm writing these things down, Timothy, because it's super important that people know how they are to behave in the household of God. It's important, so I'm, I'm writing it down just in case I die and I don't make it there. I'm writing it down. Uh, the fifth section, then, is the church's social responsibilities. Great, chapter 5 to the beginning of chapter 6. What are our social responsibilities? Um, the sixth section is the church's attitude towards material possessions and financial gain. And the final charge in verse 20 of chapter six. 6, oh, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. So I want you to think about this whole book, and it's short enough that you, on your own, you can read it. Over the next couple weeks, just once a week, just kind of read through those six chapters and and familiarize yourself with that whole message. I I propose that we think of it as a chiastic structure. So when I preach a sermon to you, it's an opening story, usually about my brother, about my kids, hopefully a little humor. Hopefully it you to look up from your track, right? Uh, and, and then it works towards this conclusion, all right? So that, the way a sermon, like when I preach, most people preach in North America, the, the main thrust is going to be right there at the end, right? It's the little kid who gave their heart to Jesus. You know, it's the, it's the little thing that gets you crying, you know, at, at the end, and it's reminding you, and you your dinner, like, that's so wonderful, right? That, that's kind of how it works. Not so in the ancient Near East. Their main point was in the middle, so they, so in, in, in a sense, you'd have your point one, it would be at the start and at the end. And your point two would be here, and your point two would be second from last, and then right in the middle. And so uh, we'll see that with Timothy. You know, there's a charge at the beginning, there's a charge at the end, and then right in the middle you have verses 14 to 16 of chapter 3, and it's as if this is uh, Paul saying, this encapsulates the truth that's been trusted to you, Timothy. Everything that I charge you to do, everything that church comes to do, has to come out of this truth. So anyway, so we're at the very beginning. How do we do church 101? John Stott says, the church depends on truth for its existence. The truth depends on the church for its defense and its proclamation. How do we do church? Um, the sermon and the sentence, the importance of doctrinal purity cannot be overstated. Without it, the church stands in danger of not just being ineffective, but completely counterproductive. The church doctrinal purity—you know—doctrine has kind of gotten a—it's gotten a bad rap among churches. You'll 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 see things that even even um, people kind of, well, we're not uh, we're not connected. You know, we are. Uh, we are a non-denominational group. Um, we just believe the Bible. Uh, I think it's hard to prove that that is the right and the best way. I understand that there are necessities for it sometimes. But the fact that Timothy himself and the church were part of an apostolic accountability. that Paul said, I have the right to command you this, as I do all the churches. Um, When we were planting in California, wow, it was wonderful to be able to just meet once a week with some other pastors. And an older guy that had gone before us. I do that now. We just did it this week. I met with these pastors and we sat around and we talked about how how are you handling COVID? What about those people? Do you guys do stuff online? We talk about it. Yeah, we do stuff online. Have you found out that people are reluctant to come back? Have you found out it's giving him an excuse? When are you going to cut off the online? I mean, we had all those conversations. It was a part of a community, talking and praying for one another. Different personalities, different gifts. It was really good. It was really healthy. Here he is saying, Timothy, as we start, don't miss out on the importance of doctrine and its purity. So as we introduce this Series. There are three things I want to point out from these first few verses. The first is apostolic authority. In verse 1 and 2, we read, Paul, an apostle. He is not an apostle as in the movie The Apostle, a guy that uh, baptized himself and, and thought the apostle EF has been called by God, and so I'm just going to take that name. You know, the other day there was something uh, that we were supposed to hand out, and all these three apostles were supposed to join us. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know about them. I, I know there's 12 in the Scriptures, but I'm not sure about these fellers, you know. How do how they? Why do they? Whatever. Uh, the apostolic authority in the Scriptures is very important. And so it's why Paul says, I'm an apostle. And he says in Galatians and Corinthians, I'm an apostle not by the will of man, but by the appointment of God. I stand in the apostolic authority. So he is going to teach us how we interpret the gospel, how it applies. And so it's really important that he says, this authority I've got, it was given to me by God. He issues commands to the church and expects them to be followed. He has been entrusted with the truth. He has a relationship with Timothy As a true child. So Timothy has authority as it comes from the apostle to him. Timothy, you have been charged, you have been given, uh, and there is an apostolic authority behind you. Timothy's relationship, this true child, is wonderful. What does he mean by that? Timothy, I love you. Timothy, I care for you. I understand you. I know how these things will affect you. I know how hard it is for you as a young man to correct the teaching of an older man. I instruct you how to do that, that you do it with grace, humility, gentleness. Timothy, uh, you're important. Timothy, I want to protect you. But Timothy, there is a body of doctrine that exists, which it's been revealed to us by God. It's been given to us by God. It is objectively true. Timothy, these things are true. You can hang your hat. You can bet your life, Timothy. These things are true. You know, that's why we as a church take an emphasis on singing songs like the one that was the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God the Father. We are are standing in line with the church for generations and saying, this is what the apostles held to. This is what the scriptures have taught. This is where we find our strength. This is where we find our connection. Um, It is objectively true. It's the teaching of the apostles and we are called often back to it, brought back to this truth. Uh, so that's why we say statements of faith, like the Apostles' Creed. So there is authority. Timothy: this letter is written by the authority of an apostle, apostle that was commanded by God. It is not my own thinking, it is not my own desires. It's just not my own experience. God has commanded me this and such, and I am passing it on to you. The apostolic necessity. Why is it important? Why do we care? Well, it's necessary. If you look at verse 3 and 4, he jumps right into it. I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, stay here. So that. So maybe this week as you read through, if you decide to read through 1 Timothy, maybe this week just, just take a, maybe a blue pen. I don't know if you're a Bible marker or not, but it might be cool to take a blue pen, and every time he says, so that, or every time Paul says, in order that, just underline it with a blue pen. There's purpose behind every statement, he says. So, Timothy, you've been entrusted with the truth. Why? So that, in order that, because you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. Why is it necessary? Well, because different doctrine is being taught. In this particular case, uh, he, he says there are these myths and genealogies. All right, so here's what happens in churches everywhere, not just in Ephesus. Uh, I spent a lot of time reading all these different ideas about what these myths and genealogies were. came to the conclusion, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows uh, exactly what it was, and that's OK that nobody knows. It was specific to his area, and Paul said, "I've been to Ephesus, I planted that church. I've given it to you." And, and I have heard that there is these different doctrines that are creeping in. So there is always a sense of syncretism merging or drifting. Okay, The church often isn't, uh, it's not, not often under fire by completely opposing views that are obviously opposing. The church is under attack by merging, by drifting, by syncretizing. Now, I use that word syncretism all the time. Not to sound smart, but it's the best word. Syncretism means taking this this truth of the gospel and the truth of the culture and putting them together. And we see that in every church, in every culture. The values of a culture, the reigning gods and idols of a culture get melded, they get syncretized in with Christianity. So is it any mistake that most of the largest churches in the U.S., Tell, tell people, God wants you to be healthy. He wants you to have a lot of money and to be in control. What is that? That's syncretism. And the gospel says, comes in and says, you know, if you love God and if you serve Him, then you know what He's going to do for you? He's going to make His chief end to glorify you. I've actually heard sermons where people, the only repentance that you're called to repent is you didn't ask God for enough. So every place this happens. So we have to ask ourselves, in Grove America, right, what, what is creeping in? What creeps in? In your family. What are the, the gods of your family? And they're not, usually they're not bad things. Is it, is it bad to be healthy? No. Is it bad to make money? No. So it's usually not bad things, but what are those gods, what are those idols What are those things that give us meaning and purpose? Is it beauty? Is it power? Is it reputation? And and Timothy, they're going to be teachers that, that put those two things together. So it is necessary that apostolic instruction, the truth, you're called back to it, because there's different doctrines out there all the time, continuously. Syncretic systems. And what gets promoted, he says, is speculation over stewardship. Um, John Stott says speculation raises doubts, while revelation evokes faith. So in the midst of this, there's then the apostolic charge. We'll look at this in verses 5 to 7. Timothy is charged. He's given instruction. Timothy, this is what you are to do. He says the aim of our charge is love. Timothy, the, the reason I'm writing to you. Timothy, the reason we planted a church in Ephesus. Timothy, the reason I want you to stay there and raise up elders and deacons. Timothy, the reason I want you to oversee that the worship of God is right and true and appropriate. Timothy, the reason I want you to make sure that everything is taught from Sunday school on up to small groups is right and true is because we love them. He holds that in opposition to the false teachers. He says, our charge is to love. They have crept in because they want to be teachers. Now, you may not get that, how those two things kind of come at each other. But I do. There's something about being a pastor-teacher that that you you can kind of do it for the love of the people. You can kind of think of it as your church, my people, and I think there's there's some rightness to that. There's love, shepherding, caring, even kind of as a you know as a father. Um, but to love them at times is to confront them. To love them is to say your love for me, your love for the culture, your love for your church, your love for your own freedoms outweighs your love for God. And so he says, Timothy, make sure that the charge that you have and everything that you're doing and saying and teaching is out of a love for them. And it goes on further in verse five. It is a love that issues uh, a love that is poured out like a fountain uh, from a pure heart, a good conscience and sincere faith. Now. Sincere faith doesn't mean just it's it's right because he believes it. It means it is right because it is true. And he's holding to that sincerely in in a way that is right and true and pure. Timothy, your charge to them should come from this heart that is pure, a heart that loves them. And then he holds in comparison these other persons. They have swerved. They've wandered. They desire to be teachers without understanding what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. The apostolic charge, to love from a pure heart with a good conscience and sincere faith. Some want to be teachers. They want to have, they want to be greeted as such. They want the praise and the adoration that comes from such. And Paul says, not to you, Timothy. Your charge is to Love. Now, in conclusion, I put in the term there, truth dispensers. The criteria for truth dispensers. I want to invest in crypto. Who am I going to listen to? What criteria would I use? And we do this with other things, don't we? Getting ready to buy a car. What do you read up on it? Getting ready to invest money, who should I believe? Now, brothers and sisters, your truth dispenser has to be the word of God. It has to be the truth of God's word from his word in the apostolic tradition. It does. It has to be handled in the same way the apostles handle it. They took the Old Testament, they took the Gospels, and they said, here's what we are to do, here's what we are to believe, here's how we are to act. Believe us. Now, I'd venture to say that for many of us, uh, church, Christianity, it can really just become more of a, 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 maybe a moral pathway. I don't say these things and I don't do these things because I'm a Christian. As opposed to a dynamic way of life in every aspect of my life, I am living for the glory of God. And he has directed me in his word, how I act at work, what I love, what I repent of. He is directing me that way. And it will result in in actions done from a pure heart. It'll result in actions done with a good conscience, the believer has the Holy Spirit of God living in them, and that Holy Spirit will prick your conscience. I'm being judgmental. I'm being unforgiven. I have a hard heart and a sincere faith. What am I believing and acting upon right now? And so that's an introduction to 1 Timothy. Uh, that's what we're going to get, and we're going to work through the different, uh, all those different uh, topics as we study. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word, and we thank you that you care enough uh, to send us in understandable ways how your church is to be, how we are to act in the household of God. We thank you for the household of God. We thank you that we are part of it. We thank you that you've given us multiple illustrations, even in this book, that we are a pillar of truth, that we are a house, that we are a temple, that we are the family of God. Oh, Father, help us understand and grasp and live and publicly Hold on to the truth of Christ. We ask now that you would set apart the elements, the bread and the wine, and remind us that we are held together by the work of Christ. And it is in Him that we live and move, and we have our being, and we have our purpose. We ask this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. I'm going to ask Bo and Vanessa this morning to... Uh, distribute the elements. I moved them over there since uh, I won't be shouting over them all. Um, uh, So let me give you what we call the words of institution. Um, And we receive this from the scriptures. So these very words come from Paul saying, here's how you to have communion. So again, it wasn't up for grabs. It wasn't what do the people like? What it feels good. No, it's like, here's what you're to do. He writes this in Corinthians. He's like, here's how you are to do it. Uh, because it was a mess in the church of Corinth. All right? I mean, it was a mess. And uh, yeah, people were, people were helping themselves, and it was a full blown meal. So he says, here's how you are to do it. He says, remind them of this that on the night that Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And I do this ministering in his name. And he had given thanks, and he said to them, This is my body, it is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in that same manner, he took the cup, and he shared the cup and said, This cup, it is the new covenant, it is in my blood, it is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink from this, all of you. For as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you celebrate my death. Until I come again This is the gift of God for the people of God. It is to be done in his church It is to be done as a part of worship. It is both a memorial and it is also a meal it, We it is mysterious in the sense that it is supposed to uh, It's supposed to nourish our hearts and our minds. It's supposed to remind us of How precious we are in his sight. It is to remind us both the cost of our sin We would hate it that we wouldn't take it lightly but also the amazing grace of His love. This meal is for those who have given their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. to Those who say, I don't trust in what I know or what I've done or what I've given, I trust in who He is. And I put my faith in Him and His work alone. And I rest upon Him and Him alone. If you are yet to put your faith in Christ, then this table is not for you. But it is a table for His children, for His family. I love it again, the familial reference. Timothy, my true child. And such is the love that God has for His children. Brothers and sisters, Christ our Passover lamb has been given for us. Hallelujah. 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 These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Feed on Him now in your hearts. Once Bo and Vanessa are set up over there, all the bread is gluten-free... The red is wine and the white is grape juice. Come to the Lord's table when you're ready.